Last week I was in New York with my bride of 40 years, and we had a blast. And the ostensible reason was uh, uh, to honor my friend Phil Williams at WTVF News Channel 5 in Nashville, who is the first ever local television journalist to receive the John Chancellor Award for a lifetime of excellence in journalism and combating corruption. And um, they gave me four minutes to speak, and so I took about five, and it was just so much fun. We saw three Broadway shows in three days, me and Lorraine, and the best, the dream, was the revival of the Sondheim show, Merrily We Roll Along. Woof, a lot of fun. We enjoyed each other, and we saw old friends, including um, my news director in Nashville, Bill Lord, who um, Vietnam vet in a newsroom led by Vietnam vets, and his wife, Cindy Benson-Lord, who was an anchor and a journalist there as well. And I hadn't seen them in probably 20-plus years, and it was a blast um, to really celebrate um, one of the good guys. This weekend, I will be in Nashville, Tennessee, working on a voice locket. If you want to know what voice locket is, go to voicelocket.com. Preserving the memories of uh, a grandmother and a grandfather, preserving their memories for their family, also talking to the kids uh, on film to preserve it. Um, So their voices, while their memories are sharp and their voices are strong, to preserve them. If I can work for you, I'd be honored. Um, And then along the way, been doing some podcasting at the Queen City Podcast Network, and that's where Brian Baltashevitz introduced me to this week's guest, Sarah Blake Morgan, who represents a lot of what's right about broadcast journalism, in that we are all frustrated idealists, a member of the U.S. military, U.S. Army Reserves, and she gets into that story. And it it was just a delight to sit and chat with her. Sarah Blake Morgan. If you ask any of, like, guys that I'm in the Army with, they say I'm one of the bros. I'm very proud of that. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to In Her Words, a podcast. I'm Stuart Watson. Each week, I interview a different woman. We're on episode 203 in 203 weeks, each one a new and different episode, and I'm very proud of that. This week, Sarah Blake Morgan, broadcast journalist, member of the U.S. Army Reserves, and just all-around good person. Uh, who I didn't know anything about, and she offered to give me some background material. I said, no, no, Uh, think Larry King, only not dead. No background research. And so uh, some of these stories she's told before, but I had never heard them, and uh, she told them in a new and I think a different way, looked at some things in a different way. Really fun meeting Sarah Blake Morgan. Where were you born? I was born in Fairbanks, Alaska. Hospital or home? Good question. My mom tried to have me at home in a log cabin. She was in labor for 40 hours with a midwife, and they said, okay, lady, you better get to the hospital. 
And she said, no, I'm staying here. She's a bit of a wild one, but she eventually, I mean, labor for 40 hours can make you say yes to just about anything, I would assume. What did your parents do that brought them to Fairbanks, Alaska? So my mom and dad were missionaries of the sort to uh, remote villages up near the Arctic Circle. My dad was a bush pilot. He flew supplies. I love this. Mm -hmm. He flew supplies all across Alaska. My mom was a radio and television host for a very small TV station called KJMP, King Jesus North Pole. And seriously, it really, and it still exists today. It's very, very tiny. What kind of TV station? As you would assume anything called King Jesus North Pole would be. It's exactly what you assume it would be. So Jesus and Santa had a fight and Santa won and got the North Pole and that's that's all they do is tell stories about Jesus, Jesus and Santa. <laughs> um what church were they missionaries for? So they worked for non-denominational ev- evangelical uh based organizations, but KJMP is its own nonprofit. So my mom was working for them directly. Um, what brought you back to the lower 48? How old were you? My mom was seven months pregnant with me. They had been married for a year and a half. And being a bush pilot is one of the most dangerous jobs you can do. I think whenever they rank the most dangerous jobs in the United States, bush pilot is always among the top. Uh, and she was seven months pregnant on February 9th of 1989, and my dad's plane went down. He was killed. Um, and my name, Sarah Blake. Blake was his name, Blake Morgan. So my mom stayed in Alaska because she wanted to have me there um, to honor him. And after I was born, she moved home to Florida where she grew up to be around family. Um, You were number what in the birth order? I am the only one. What did she tell you about your father? What do you understand about him? Like the type of personality? I always grew up hearing stories about how gregarious he was and outgoing and he never met a stranger and all those cliches. But the cool thing is, is that I actually have videos and um, recordings on cassettes because he was a musician. Um, him and his brother and their friends had a bluegrass band called the Bluegrass Bluegies, and I have some of those recordings. I have some recordings of him preaching. Um, but the best gift that my mom gave me was making sure that I was a part of his family's life because she could have easily removed me from their life. Um, That was just a reminder of him and everything that she lost. But I am extremely close to his his mother, his siblings. Um, His father was the most important man in my life. Uh, He passed about a year and a half ago, my grandfather. Um, But I will always be grateful for my mom for allowing me to um, still be a part of their lives. What did you get from him personality-wise? I am her to a T. And I really don't look like him much. There are a few photos um, that I was actually visiting my my grandmother this past weekend up in Pennsylvania, and she pulled out a photo of him as a child where my grandpa wrote on the back, see, she is a Morgan. Uh, because like I, I looked more, uh, they have darker features, and I was all little Irish girl growing up. Um, but my mom's personality, her humor, everything, I'm her to a T. But I think that goes back to like, you're a product of your upbringing. 
I also think adventure, I just go after it and I make some crazy decisions because I'm like, hey, you only live once. Uh, that's definitely my dad, but my mom as well. What What is an example of you going forward, adventuring as like a teenager? I always loved to travel. I loved to travel to places that you wouldn't necessarily go to. Um, growing up, my, my mom's a physician assistant now. After my dad was killed, she went to PA school uh, while I was a toddler. So that says something about her and her grit. Um, but we would go on short-term medical trips when I was growing up. So I, you know, would spend summer break in Africa, uh, Nicaragua, all over the world. And where in Africa? We did a lot in Zambia. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we did some in South Af Africa, also Zambia, and I've since then been able to travel elsewhere. Um, but those trips—that was me going for it. But I think I've moved into that a little bit more to the extreme as I've gotten older. Have you been back to Alaska? I've been back once when I was seven, but that doesn't count. My mom and I always talk about wanting to go. She actually wants to um, like charter a helicopter and go back out to the crash site, um, which for some might be like, why would she want to do that? But she always talks about wanting to, you know, close that a little bit. She didn't have time to grieve. I mean, she was, her, her baby came four months later and she had to be a mom. And um, so she's, she's the toughest woman I know. Was she alone in the home when she was in labor with you? She had a midwife. Midwife. And then- Did she have any family members there? So her parents were on their way up uh, from Tampa to, they were on their way up for the birth. Uh, my grandfather, Battlefield Commission, World War II, um, he retired as a colonel in the U.S. Army. Um, at that point, he had been retired, but when they got to Seattle, he had a massive stroke. And um, it, so they stayed in Seattle. They couldn't move on. Um, he actually died three months later. But my dad's sister, she came up un unexpectedly. She got on a plane and she was with her um, as I was born. And my aunt always calls me her firstborn because she saw me first. <laughs> my aunt was also a flight attendant for American. She was young, gorgeous. And my mom said she was screaming at like the doctors because all the doctors were giving my aunt the attention and not the woman in labor. Um, so there's still, you know, a bit of... <laughs> There's a bit of animosity over that. So, grandfather battlefield commission, was anyone in your father or mother's generation in the military? My mom has one brother, but he was Vietnam era, wasn't deployed to a combat zone. So, no, it was the- um, But he was in the military? He was. He was in the army. Um, but nobody that made a career out of it other than my grandfather. Why did you join the U.S. Army? I've spent- now 12 years as a reporter, I always wanted to be a uh, foreign correspondent, a war correspondent since I was a little girl that was in my head. Um, so I worked in local news. Of course, I worked here in Charlotte, went to the AP from um, WBTV in Charlotte, and then I started covering the Fort Bragg beat. And if you knew me pre-military, I don't have an athletic bone in my body. I love, um, I'm a risk taker, but I also love like sequins and frills and high fashion and feathers. Like I- Girly girl. girl I'm a girly girl. Yes, through and through. Um, so this was a complete left turn. 
But I started covering Fort Bragg, and it was 2020, uh, New Year's Eve of 2020, when the 82nd Airborne's immediate response force was activated um, amid rising tensions with Iran. And my editor called and said, hey, will you go out to Bragg? So I drove out there. I was amped. I was so excited to be there at uh, Fort Bragg's our iconic green ramp. These guys are getting ready to go out there. And I had always had the greatest respect for what they did. And I loved covering military stories, but it was never something that I wanted to do personally. And I told the PAO, I said, hey, sir, I've got my bags packed. And he just kind of looked at me and laughed. Uh, Colonel Mike Burns with the 82nd. And he was like, okay, whatever. They were going to Kuwait. So I didn't get on the flight to the Middle East, but about two weeks later, he called me. He was like, hey, uh, we have a training exercise. We're going to South America to train with Colombian forces if you would like to embed and come along. So I went for the Associated Press. I did photo, video, and print for them. And um, I was kind of at this point in my life where I could do the job in my sleep. And it wasn't a challenge anymore. I loved it. I loved being a reporter, but... I was just desperately searching for more. And I always say I was at this point where I was on the verge of just, I felt like I was on the verge of a lifetime of mediocrity if I didn't do something drastic. And I just had, I didn't, I don't think I knew it was happening in the, in the moment, but um, I had this incredible experience those two weeks in South America with the 82nd where I, on some level, experienced that camaraderie. And I came home and I walked into a recruiter's office. And why the Army? There was never any thought of any other branch. I think that came from my grandfather. Um, but the Air Force, some of the other branches, might the training was a lot shorter, might have been a little bit easier, but I never gave it a, a second thought. Um, the Army was, for me, what I would have always wanted and been most proud of. And it has been what I'm most proud of. What was boot camp like? <sighs> um, so... Sometimes people, I get trolls on social media, Stuart, that say, oh, well, back in my day, you know, basic training was a lot harder. Yes, it was a lot harder back then. Um, but I do think there is something different for someone who is 31, who just bought a nice house in Plaza Midwood, um, overnight losing that, losing your phone, losing everything, um, and then someone that's 18 coming out of their parents' house. So... I my life changed drastically over overnight. Everything that I had, all the material things, the comforts were completely gone. Um, no communication really with the outside world. We had 30 minutes on a Sunday when we got to use our phone. Um, but it was also the most beautiful gift because I, I I truly believe it's the great equalizer. There's no other experience where um you are like none of my accolades, my reporting career, who I was, none of that mattered. Um, I was on the same playing field as everybody in my basic training class that came from completely different backgrounds. Their stories so much more inspiring than mine. Um, but that experience of those 16 weeks, um, well, give or take all of training, um, completely changed my life because I was broken down and built back up. What's the biggest misunderstanding do you think about the U.S. military from people who've never served? I think if you don't have your pulse on the military, you don't have someone that's close to you that serves or a friend that serves, 
And I'm not talking about, you know, your grandfather or your father in World War II or Vietnam. If you don't have someone that's currently serving, it is easy to put a stereotype on what a soldier looks like. And I can't tell you how different what many people think a soldier looks like, that bravado white guy from the South. Um, yeah, there are a lot of those. Um, but there are also immigrants and, um, you know, someone like me who had a career. Um, but single moms going through who this is their shot to give their child a better life. Um, the diversity, whether it be race, age, um, socioeconomic status is even for me going into it and having covered the military, I was shocked when I saw like my basic training class and the whys behind why everybody is personally serving is I could talk about that all day because it's incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you, Stuart. What church did you grow up in? I grew up church of God, uh, evangelical. Uh, do you go to church now? That's a that's a tough subject with my mother. Gosh, you're going to get me in trouble. I don't right now. Does I, she? She does. Tent, you know, that's funny. I'm going to throw this in her face because she has moved. Um, she, she was overseas in the State Department going from place to place, and she just moved back stateside. So she hasn't really found a home. Where was she overseas? She was in Algeria, Afghanistan, and then Mongolia. She moved back uh, – to North Carolina from Mongolia about a year ago. Did you visit her in any of I did. Places? I went twice to Algeria, uh, once to Mongolia. Did you go out in the Sahara? No, we did not. You need there, to go back. In Algeria, the Sahara is a little iffy. Dicey. It's a little dicey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you can go from other countries. Yes, I would love. That's on my list. And Mongolia. Mongolia was amazing. I'm riding full speed through the Mongolian countryside on horseback. Um, I got done with that experience and thought, okay, this I've peaked. It's never going to be better than this moment of my life. So you think there's a God now? I do think there's a God. I think I grew up um where church was my entire life. Um, it was so much of my identity. In fact, I actually went to the Church of God Evangelical University after I graduated uh, high school. And so that was who you were in your identity. I remember a time where I thought, I said this out loud, I would never marry someone outside of the Church of God. And now I think, what, what was I thinking? Um, so now I think for the first time, I'm trying to figure it out myself. What's a personal relationship or a personal story in which you were like, had a sense of awe or a sense of, this is something I can't explain? I think there are events throughout my life, especially in when it comes to the situation that I was born into, um, that had to have been orchestrated by God. Like I look at my mother and the strength that she had to get through what she did. I mean, a widow with a baby going through PA school. And I'm now that age and I couldn't have gotten through that alone. Um, so that to me is only strength that can come from a higher power. Um, for me now, spirituality and being, as they say, Christ-like, 
um, I look at that as compassion and kindness and how can we help our fellow man or woman. Um, the best thing that the church can do is reach out and um, help and be kind and accept. And as we know, that doesn't always happen, um, but there are still a lot of good people doing good things. To be not cynical is one thing, or 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 not dismissive. Dismissive and judgmental. Um, I think judgment is partially the downfall of the church. Um, that's not the the Jesus that I grew up learning about. It's not my place to judge a person. Um, I know for me as a journalist, the the thing that I can do with my gifts that God gave me is use my platform to do good for other people. Um, so if we're not using whatever that gift is to make this world, as cliche as it says, make this world a better place, then what are we doing? And that whatever we do can be a ministry. Can be a ministry. And it's done in the right way. Um, I think it's so easy, especially in the age of social media, to do things and then post about it. Um, but I mean, I grew up with a mother who every Saturday morning at 6 a.m., we got up and we fed the homeless. Um, nobody knew about those things. Um, and she always said, when you talk about it, that's when your blessing is taken away. Um, now, that's not totally true. I mean, especially for nonprofits and, and different organizations and churches, like you have to talk about the good that you do. But, you know, if you you see a homeless person on the street and you give them $20, you don't need to jump right on Instagram and say that, hey, I helped this guy out. Um, if that's why you're doing it, and I've had to ex examine myself sometimes, like, am I doing these things for the right reasons? And I think con constantly questioning that is important. When have you felt a sense of awe? A sense of having your breath taken away by seeing something in the world. The earliest one I can remember is the 2016 protests here in Charlotte, um, being there from day one and, you know, seeing how it started to, you know, the fifth day of, of protest and, and realizing that the weight that we have as reporters to report this accurately and, and deliver that message. Um, that weight kind of took my breath a few times. Um, this about a year and a half ago, it's 3 a.m. crossing the Ukrainian border by myself. Um, that kind of took my breath away <laughs> because I was like, I could completely disappear in this moment and nobody would know where I was. I had a moment like that in, um, in Cuba as well. Um, and then I guess finally, when I graduated basic training, that there's no feeling that I've had like, come over me um, than the, pr the pride that I felt in that moment. Proud of? Being able to do it. I think a lot of it was me trying to prove something to myself. There's a 
a longtime WBTV, she, she was a WBTV reporter, Kristen Hampton, who right before I left, I mean, it became a thing. It was on social media. The Observer wrote about it. And Kristen texted me right before I left and said, hey, you don't have to do this. If, you know, I know this has gotten really big and you probably don't want to back down, but like, if if you don't want to do this, you don't have to go through with it. Um, but yeah, I think I... And what did you say? I think I was a little aggressive with her, actually. I was like, Kristen, absolutely not. Like, I'm going through with it. And yeah, maybe some of that was pride, but I was determined to prove to myself that I could do it. I really wasn't proving it to anybody else. It was to to me. Um, Yeah. This is an unfair question. Feel free to say it. um, Do you ever want to be a mom? It's a great question. Um, Well, it's, it's... it is unfair, I guess. But, I mean, it's 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 but for, intensely personal, and you don't yeah, have to answer. No, um, I think I always said because I was so career obsessed. I'm not career driven. Like my career dictates everything for me, um, and I was so ambitious, and I knew exactly where I wanted to go. And I I still know that my job. If it's the right one, eventually, hopefully that's coming down the pike, I will be in situations that probably aren't the most safe. Um, So I always kind of shoved it off and said, no, I don't want to be a mom. I don't really see that. Um, But I think I've changed in recent years. I mean, everything about me has changed. And I think that is a part of me that I always said no. And now I say Maybe, and also maybe to adoption. Um, and some people listening to this will probably be shocked by that. But I, my best friend's daughter, uh, my best friend Susanna Black, who was a reporter here in Charlotte, her daughter Lila has you know has shown me that that's something that I might want one day. What do you want for women who are born as little girls right now? What do you want them? What world do you want for them? What changes do you want for them? I want them to know that they don't have to fit into a certain stereotype or they can't just, they have to go one route or go after one thing that you you can be both and you can pivot and you can be multidimensional and multifaceted um, and that there are ways to do that. Um, you know, I am the first to admit that I was very blessed and I had all the opportunities handed to me and that's not the case everywhere. And I will say that that's one thing that the Army has taught me is um, the Army has given many opportunities to people that didn't necessarily have them. I mean, the school opportunities. I don't, Do I ever want to get go into college debt again? No. But if the Army's going to let me go back to school and pay for it, which they might, like I might do it. What uh, would you like to study? I would likely do some type of security, um, homeland security, international relations. I've always had an affinity um, and an interest in the Middle East in particular. Uh, so maybe Middle East studies, I've been trying and failing to learn Arabic for a very long time. So possibly Arabic as well. Um, but I would love to go overseas for that. What's a country that you'd like to go to? Mm, I've been really lucky and I've gone to some really incredible places. Um, Jordan is my favorite. 
Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The people are beautiful and kind and wonderful. Um, I've never been to Turkey. I would love to go to Turkey. Um, I would love to go to Tunisia. Um, Norway. Yeah. 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 North Africa is. I mean, Algeria, Algeria was amazing. I know I threw Norway in there out of like, but I want to like see the fjords. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, they say they're as deep as the mountains are high. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's amazing when you think, when you look up at the mountains and think that's how actually that's something that kind of makes your head explode when you think about it too hard. Yeah. And it's a very different place. My aunt lives in Sweden, but yeah. yeah. And there's a way of, depending upon where you are in the Middle East, there's this different culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not all, I mean, there's. It's not what we think. Well, Kuwait and Yemen, very, very, very different. different. Very different. And of course, I mean, a lot of the happenings and, and, the, and the heartbreak and the famine and um, the images that are still coming out of places like Yemen. Um, we don't see every day. Um, so if there are opportunities in my journalism career where I can get over to those places and amplify those voices, that's something that's always important to me. What would something that would be like very brave for you to do right now? The word that first popped in my head was the thing that scares me the most full stop is regret. Um, and that is the lesson over the last few years of my life that have been quite transformative is I refuse to live life with regret. Um, So if I have a thought and um, develop that thought, I'm not going to just do it on a whim, even though I do that from time to time. Um, I'm going to go after it because I'm not, I refuse to look down the road in 20, 30 years and say, what if? If you knew you had one year to live or three years to live or five years to live, that you had a very finite, that you would not make it to 40 what would you do today? Or like, okay, this has changed everything. I need to do this. I'd go live out of a suitcase, like actually live out of a suitcase in the most austere but beautiful cultures and learn as much as I can about people that are not like me. Yeah. Mongolia is one of those. Yes. And it was quite extraordinary. And I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity without my mother being posted over there, but. Yeah. It's amazing. And there are cultures that we don't know about that are, um, the people are quote unquote impoverished, but they're in these, uh, what they call blue zones. They're impoverished, but they are happy. They're among the happiest people and that's, in the world. And that's something I've, also realize like the American or the Western way of happy doesn't mean it's the right way. Mm-hmm. The Western way of anything doesn't mean it's the right way. Um, and there's something that we can learn. We can take from all those experiences. Um, and that, you know, that can get into a whole other conversation that we probably shouldn't talk about. Why not? No, I, I think, um, sh- we ha- we believe a certain way and it's gotten us in trouble in the past um, as a government in other places. Um, and I think we need to look back and always um, remember and learn from those mistakes so we don't go 
and make those mistakes again, trying to make people do things the way we do them. Well, one way of learning about the world is um, going out into it. And another way is seeking out the people right here in Charlotte in a sizable city that come from Afghanistan or that come from Rwanda. I mean, I was sitting right next to a guy this morning came from Rwanda and I know more about his life in Charlotte than I do about his life in Rwanda. And um, so one way is to seek out people here that can tell you about there, um, if nothing else, because if you ever go there, they're like, see my cousin, go see this. And, and you have the immediate mm -hmm. in, you yeah, know, it's absolutely. just amazing. And we have such a beautiful uh, refugee and immigrant community here in Charlotte. Um, when I was at WBTV, I would always get accused of just pitching refugee and immigration stories um, because those stories of resiliency and perseverance are things that I think people need to hear every single day. And we have no short supply of them here in Charlotte um, to the point where um, I had a assistant news director at one point say, Sarah, you can't just be the refugee reporter. And um, no, I, I don't know, maybe one day I will. Um, because, you know, when you look at the Afghans, the, the Afghan community following the fall of Kabul um, in 2021 has it, it just sit there and listen to their stories and think about where they were um, uh, at Hamid Karzai International Airport, packing on to C-17s, um, babies being throw, thrown over the airport fence, um, the chaos and the horrors were things that they experienced that we can never fathom and understand. And now their children are in elementary school in Waxhaw and in Matthews and here in Charlotte. And they're starting businesses and they're thriving and they're learning English. And we've I've just been a part of an effort to start a, an English class for um, female Afghans here. And just to see them come together and their progress as, you know, they Two years ago, they didn't speak any English, and now they they do, and they've got their driver's license and just beautiful things that make you stop and think. And as American, what's what's my excuse? Like, I haven't faced anything like that, and um, it's just incredibly inspirational. But that is an incredible point because you don't have to look far. You don't have to travel to find those stories and to find that perspective. It's right here in Charlotte. One of my closest friends here in Charlotte that I, I known for five or six years, his name is Zia Gafori. Um, he was a special forces interpreter for, uh, Green Berets. He fought shoulder to shoulder against or next to our troops and, um, injured, bled alongside of U.S. troops. Um, and he's the proudest American you will ever meet. I went to, I was able to go to his uh, ceremony when he became a U.S. citizen a couple years ago. And there really is nothing that's more beautiful. But when you meet a person, and that's the, really comes back to the beauty of storytelling in general, not just about this topic, but about anything. Um, when you meet somebody or talk to somebody or hear their personal experience, 
it is a lot harder to dismiss an issue um, and think, oh, I don't care about that. It doesn't affect you. Well, maybe it doesn't affect you, but if you get to know someone that it does, it's harder to look away. What I want to do as a reporter, full stop, is make it difficult for people to look away. Growing up without your own father in the home, how did that affect the way you relate to boys and men, young men especially? This is like a therapy appointment. I'm not really sure. Um, Maybe it... Pretend you are sure. I think that... Well, I will say when I went to South America um, with the 82nd, there was only one other female with our group. She was a medic. And we get to the barracks late at night. And um, she said, they were like, okay, the female barracks are over here. And this medic said, uh, no, sir, I want to stay with my men. And because I'm obsessed with proving myself, um, I was like, no, I do too. And then it hit me. Oh, my God. I am someone who grew up with just a female home like i i very seldom except for the my husband lived with a man and now i'm going to live with 40 men like paratroopers um so i i think overcoming that i think it, there's always a chip on my shoulder like okay i have to be tougher because i'm the product of a single mom so i have to prove myself maybe that's part of it um, but I, if you ask any of like guys that I'm in the army with, they say I'm one of the bros mm-hmm. and I, I, uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, were you sexually harassed in that kind of overwhelming masculine environment? Never. Never. Never once. And I want to preface this by saying that. I know that my situation is not always the case. And there are countless females within our ranks, uh, the various branches that do endure sexual harassment and sexual assault. It still happens. Um, but I have been very blessed and lucky. And maybe that's because of my age that I went in about 10, 12 years late. Um, maybe it's, I, I'm a little bit more confident and carry myself that way. I I don't know what it is, um, but maybe it, I've just been, I think it's more of me just being really lucky um, that I've never endured that. Now, am I frequently the only woman in the room? Yes. And um, I have to prove myself, um, but that's not a bad thing. Um, I've had, I'm really grateful to, to have had um, army leaders around me that have really invested in me and helped me grow as an army officer. You think men can be friends with women? Absolutely. Best friends? Yes. Um, If there's that shared understanding, um, my best friend in the army I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> and he's deployed right now, and I'm going to send this to him. <laughs> and he would say the same about me. He yeah. would say, ooh, gross. Um, yeah. But 
Yeah, I, I do think that is possible, especially, you know, we I want to be treated the same. Like, I don't ever want my identity to be a woman in the army. I want to be in the army. Um, and if there is that, you know, tension, that's tough to be on the level playing field. Again, I'm not relating my situation. I'm a reservist. Active duty is a whole other beast. Um, but I've been very lucky where I haven't had any problems at all. If we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived was this piece of digital audio, what is your legacy? Going after it. That's what I want to leave behind and encourage anybody that listens to this. It doesn't have to be something crazy like raising your right hand and then enlisting in the United States Army at 31. But if there's something in the back of your head that kind of gnaws at you and you wonder what if, go for it. Um, as I am a soldier, I, I insert the F word a lot, but I won't say that right now, but F and go for it. Um, because it completely changed my life. It upended my life. You can say it on this podcast. Fucking go for it. Um, it changed my life in the very best way. And um, I have no regrets. And there's a lot of growing pains with that too. It's not easy. It's not you You do something and everything's going to be fixed. And I still have a lot of questions and I don't know where I'm going to end up in the next year, two years, three years. Um, I'm still figuring that out. But I also know who I am more than I ever have before. It's a privilege to talk to you. I wish we had longer. It's a privilege to talk to you. You are, you know, an icon here in Charlotte. <laughs> you are. I came to Charlotte when Stuart was just wrapping up his time, and we always heard stories about the old Stuart Watson. Mm. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he is very much alive, my friends. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Boy, that was fun. Sarah Blake Morgan, uh, she and I... And uh, another podcast guest are working on a new project, which I hope to be able to tell you about next month uh, after we get it all polished and ready for for uh, air uh, to drop on the old podcast network. And it's just been a ton of fun, just a consummate professional. Thank you, Sarah Blake Morgan. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp-Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins & Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page, at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Look for man listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported manlistening.com in her words, the podcast, and now voicelocket.com for 203 episodes. Thanks so very much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much. <laughs>